Money plays a key role in our lives. There's not a day that goes by where we don't deal with money. The world's view on money is far different than the biblical view. We will be exploring biblical principles in personal finance, covering how to save money, how to reduce and get out of debt, and planning for retirement. We also look into and assist in preparing wills and power of attorney documents. The Bible contains over 2,350 verses that deal with money. It instructs us how to manage our money, assets, and resources. The topic of money is second only to the topic of love in the number of times mentioned in Scripture. Jesus said more about money and possessions than almost any other subject dedicating two-thirds of the parables to the topic. Good morning. It's great to be with you this morning and to share the Word of God with you. Um, we're talking about stewardship this morning, and the area that we're particularly honing in on is the area of personal finance. Um, we have sent a link to you Concerning this little booklet, if you have it, it would be of great help to you. Um, it goes along with our presentation, as well as there is some extra information in there. I want to start this morning, first of all, with some words from the scripture. Um, Jesus said to his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked, How, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do? Now my master is taking away my job. I am not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their homes. So he called in each of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill, and make it 800. Then the master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you a property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And it ends off by saying, the Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. There's a saying that goes, 
If Jesus is not Lord at all, of, I mean of all, he's not Lord, Lord at all. I want to talk to you about a, a few things this morning. Here are some personal questions. Do you feel safe or do you have concerns about your financial future? Um, do you have a budget for the operation of your household? Are you saddled with bothersome debt? Do you have a financial plan to deal with these concerns? Do you have an emergency fund? Are you saving for retirement? Have you given someone power of attorney? Do you have a health care directive? And what about a will? These are all of the areas that we're going to be uh, singling in on this morning. Uh, I want to uh, talk to you from what we call biblical principles for personal finance. Uh, there are six areas we're wanting to cover this morning. The first one is find the spot marked X. In other words, where are you financially? We're going to talk about setting some financial goals. And of course, once you set a goal, then you have to determine how you're going to reach that goal. That's what you call creating a financial plan. Number four, manage your spending. Uh, in church, we do a pretty good job helping people understand the tithe that belongs to the Lord but not very often have we gone over into that other 90%. I want to go there this morning and lay out some biblical principles in that area. Number five, plan for retirement. Some of you are retired. The rest of us wish we were retired. Uh, some very interesting things there. And of course, the, the last part, uh, final touches, very important area, estate planning. So we have a, a full list this morning. So let, let's get started. Back at number one, find the spot marked X. It's difficult to follow directions if you don't know where you are. Let's say you're going to a very big mall and you're looking for, say, a, a shoe store. When you enter that mall, you're going to find a thing called a directory where all the stores are listed, the floor plan is there. And let's, for our example, say your shoe store is there. But that directory really doesn't make any sense until you find the place where the, the X is, the spot marked, you are here. It's difficult to follow directions if you don't know where you are. Same with your money. If you really don't know where you are financially, it's pretty hard for me to get you anywhere. So let's find out how to find out where we are. First of all, I need you to be honest. I need you to be open. Everything has to be on the table. I need you to be thoughtful. Like, how did you get to the spot? Whether you're doing well financially or not well financially, sitting down thinking things through, how do I get here? What am I really doing? What does it really look like? It's pretty hard to go any further. When you talk about money, it's a very emotional thing. It's a very private issue. Um, it's okay to get worked up. Um, uh, many are concerned. Many are anxious and even stressed about their financial future. Um, that, that is... Uh, uh, an area that we can work on. But I also want you to understand that money affects relationships between you and your spouse. Here's a, um, a slide that kind of says an awful lot in a very short area time. He says to her, yeah, apparently I've done something to upset you. Uh, let's go. Uh, when we talk about money, Let's be hopeful. Did you know that God has given us more than 2,350 verses in the Bible to instruct us on in how to manage our money, our assets, and our resources? 
The topic of money is second only to the topic of love in the number of times the word of God confronts this subject. Jesus said more about money and possessions than almost any other subject, uh, dedicating over two-thirds of the parables to the subject. So the Bible is full of content and instructions and promises that deal with money, something we handle every day. Let's get back to finding the spot marked X. We call it the double O law of finances. Now follow me, this, this is very easy. The first O represents everything that you own. The second O represents everything that you owe. You take one O from the other, you get your net worth. Every time you go to a financial institution to borrow money, that's what they're, uh, they're after. How much are you really worth? I hope you don't have to say OO or zero, zero. Let me give you an illustration. Things that we own, our house or condo, real estate, mutual funds, RSPs, bill of cash in the bank. Let's put some figures in there for an example's sake. This guy, he has a house worth about 450, automobiles about 22, RV of 48, a bit of mutual funds of 16, a tax-free saving about 12, bit of cash 800. So the total of what he owns is 548,800. That's what he owns. Now let's look at what he owes. On his condo or house, he still owes 245. Automobiles, he owes about 12. RV getting it down there, about 18. Yeah, remember, I said everything had to be on the table. Mother-in-law, don't you forget her. He owes 800. So total of what he owes is $283. Now, you take, uh, you take that away from the other, so his net worth is 265800 You put your own figures in. Everything that you own, take away everything that you owe, that's where I want to start, the spot marked X. Now, once you have found out where you really are, you're right here in your finances, but you're going to get to over there. And I'm going to be talking about some short-term goals. We'll talk about long-term goals a little later on. But on pages 7 and 8, it, in your booklet, it lists a whole number of goals that you might like to consider. Um, in setting goals, let me set some parameters for you. Goals need to be, first of all, specific. They need to be measurable. They need to be attainable, realistic, and within a certain time frame. If you look at that acoustic, it's really a smart thing to determine how you want to spend your money. Take some time and sit down and write out the goals that you would like to accomplish within a certain time frame, within two to five years. Now, once you've done that, how are you going to reach them? That's what we call creating a financial plan. In creating a financial plan, the first thing I want you to do is this. Make a commitment to God. You know, it's interesting as we take his word and read it, and we get down on our knees and seek his face, how God comes around and helps us. In fact, the Bible says it this way, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and your plans will succeed. Secondly, get help from informed people and reliable resources in your church, in your community, all kinds of people whose expertise is money. Um, bankers, lawyers, financial advisors, financial counselors, people who do taxes. If you're dealing with a financial situation, why don't you go to one of these people and ask them for some advice? 
Let them sit down with you and look at your situation and give you some alternatives on how to uh, uh, solve that situation. Uh, the Bible puts it this way. The plans of the diligent lead to profit. Seeking to understand your situation is to your benefit as surely as haste leads to poverty. So make a commitment to God. Get help from informed people. And thirdly, invoke the old McDonald law of economics. Now, I'm wanting to use these letters E-I-E-I-O in order to set up a financial plan. Those, those letters uh, are very uh, interesting, but, but let's look at them. The first E-I stands for what's your expected income? Uh, your employment, pensions, investments, other. How much money do you have to work with? Let's put some figures in there for an example's sake. Okay, this guy, he makes about $4,550 a month. He has some investments he gets from his investments, 198. Does a, has a rental area in his uh, property that he rents out and he gets 750 for it. Bit of work on the side, 300. So his total expected income is 57.98. That's how much money he has to work with. That's the first EI. The second EI stands for how much money do you spend in a given month? And we're going to talk about the Lord's share, household expenses, monthly pay. Let's, let's consider, can, uh, consider finishing our, our illustration. So he would have about $580 as tithe. Offerings, he gives about $175. Uh, food and household expenses, about $1010. His mortgage and utilities, about $2450. Does a car payment of $545. Bit of savings, uh, $340. Then you come to that category called other. $698. Quite a bit of that $57.98, isn't it? Like, do you really know how, where all your money goes? The money you carry in your pocket, or every time you swipe your interact, where is that money going? On page 9 in your booklet, there's a 14-day challenge where for 14 days, you could write down every penny that you spend. Now, it doesn't take long. You just keep your receipts and sit down at the end of the day or every second day and, and fill it in and see where all that money goes. Now, uh, so his total expenses was $57.98. So our uh, expected income, $57.98. Our expenses incurred, $57.98. Now, before you think that that's kind of not too good, I wish I could get the people in our churches doing at least that well. That's what you call a balanced budget, not spending any more than you make. Now, if you want to better that bottom line, there's one of two ways you can do that. We call it the fire ordinance. You can better your bottom line if, first of all, you make more money. And you can be as creative as you want. You can put longer hours at your place of employment, you can have a spouse who goes out to work through so your two-income family. You can find a need in your community and supply that service. Like, if you can make more money, your bottom line should come up. But if that's not the, uh, the, re the result, the only other option you have is this. Reduce expenses. Now, when it comes to reducing expenses, the first thing you have to tell me is, how much money can I cut back on? Where, where can I not spend money? Um, reducing expenses is uh, not an easy thing to do. In fact, there's a slogan that says, um, no pain, no gain. Like, um, 
as you fill out your income and your expense sheet, um, you can look over and if there's any area that you can cut back in, maybe that's a way that you can help your budget. Now, fourthly, I want to talk about manage your spending. Uh, in all of our lives, there's important players, and I have named here six. The first one, of course, is God. I've named Canada Revenue Agency a second because I don't care where you live in Canada, they're going to find you. Uh, your family, our world circulates around our family. Our employer, the place we receive our principal income from. Our creditors, yeah, we bought products, received services, and there does come a time to pay, even though it's 18 months down the road, there does come a time to pay. And the last one I've named here is our neighbor, very important player in our lives. I want to go through these at uh, each singly. Um, God comes first. God comes first. We, we give mental assent to that very rapidly, but does that really happen in our life? The Bible says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough problems of its own. It says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So, um, I want to go on to also another verse where it says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord God Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. Tithing is a very important principle in our lives. In fact, it's probably more of a spiritual principle than it is really a money principle. Only verse in the Bible where God says, test me in this. Um, tithing, you could spend a lot of time talking on it, but let me, let me just share. Uh, this is how I explain tithing. When you walk in obedience to the word of God, you invite God into your world. And when God's in your world, he works miracles because he's just that kind of a God. But when you walk in disobedience to the word of God, you're saying, God, I don't need you in this area. I can look after it myself. Then you're kind of on your own. I kind of like to have God in my world, okay? Because he's just that kind of a God that works according to his promises in our lives. He says, test me in this. And he said, there is actually a blessing that becomes involved in, in following the word of God. Here's a verse that says, remember, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he determined in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And I like this part of the verse. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. I kind of like to paraphrase that for you. It's, I basically say, this verse says, God says, do as I say and I'll take care of you. A kind of a very interesting verse that you can put your, your trust and faith into. God comes first. Then I want to talk about the tax man. Um, I work at churches and I have technology all the time, and oftentimes I need help. And I have a, a tech at the national office who um, helps me all the time. And 
He got his tax bill and wasn't too impressed with it. So he sits down at his typewriter and writes, Dear Revenue Canada, sitting there thinking a bit, and he comes up with this. I'm writing to cancel my subscription. He says, uh, please remove my name from your mailing list. <laughs> it doesn't work that way, okay? <laughs> but let me give you the good news first, okay? Um, Canada, Revenue Canada understands, the government understands that it doesn't do a very good job when it comes to helping people. They can only go so far. Uh, charities and volunteers can do a far better service. And so they've made all kinds of tax concessions to encourage you and I to become involved in charitable giving. 45% of what you give to your church will actually come back to you via a tax receipt at the end of the year. Other tax laws allow us to receive tax credits up to 75% of our taxable income. When an estate gives to a charity, they can claim the total 100%. Very interesting laws out there. The other side of this is, though, we do live in one of the best countries in the world. And it's important that we pay our fair share of taxes. The Bible says, renders to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. Um, then you and your family. Our world circulates around our families, doesn't it? Financial advisors tell me that we should have an emergency fund of about three months set aside because emergencies always come when less, when you don't, you don't even expect them. And if you don't have something set aside, then you have to use you know, your line of credit or your credit card, then you have to start paying down debt. Why don't you just consider setting something aside? In fact, uh, let me suggest a few ways you can do that. Um, first what method I kind of like this one is called the minus 10 technique. It's illustrated this way. When your check comes in, you take off 10% for the Lord's work. But then you take off another 10% for your own savings. And you make your budget on the 80% that's left. 10, 10, 80. Very simple formula. If you don't like that one, maybe we'll try this one. We call it the plus 10 technique. Uh, you pay all your bills for the month. Let's say they amount to, I don't know, $3,200. You take about 10% of that $3,200, which would be about $320. You treat that like a bill. You put it into a savings or into an investment. You, you, know, you do something so that there's something left there. Uh, or there's the days due. When I'm at home, I take whatever change I have in my pocket. I put it on my dresser. If there's any tunies, my wife, she takes them. Or maybe you want to take, you know, every time you have a $5 bill, you set that aside. Or well, why don't you go to your banker and have him take off something, you know, $50, $7,500 a month out of sight, out of mind. There's got to be a way that you don't spend everything that comes in. In fact, the Bible says it this way. In the house of the wise are stores of choice foods and oils, but a foolish man devours all that he has. Um, let's go on to, uh, we won't talk about our neighbor this, or our employer this morning. I want to go and talk about our debtors. Um, the Bible says the rich rule over the poor and the borrower a servant to the lender. I want to deal with how to get out of debt. The average household debt is continuing to rise. And it's amazing how many families out there are dealing with and struggling with debt. 
Uh, how to get out of debt? The Bible says a prudent man sees danger and takes refuge. But it's simple, keep going and suffer for it. Number of ways here of how to get out of debt. First of all, stop credit card spending or any form of borrowing. You know, we all use credit cards, yeah? But if you don't pay them off at the end of each month, then you're paying high interest. Two things keep you poor, taxes and interest. <laughs> Have you ever sat down at the end of the year and figured out how much interest you paid for over the year? Don't do it because you'll probably cry, okay? Secondly, pay off debts charging the highest interest first. Put the minimum on the other one, but that one that's charging the highest interest, put all you can on it. Pay it off as quickly as you can. Cut it up. You don't need it, okay? Thirdly, develop a budget. Many of you have a budget in your mind. You know what your car payment is. You know what your house payment is. Why don't you put it down on paper? It should look something like this. Taking tithe and taxes off. Um, your housing should be about 36% of your income. Food about 12, and you can go through that list. In fact, you'll find this list on page 18 in your booklet. Uh, why don't you put your own figures in there and use that as a benchmark? See how you're making out. De develop a budget is very helpful in knowing how to handle your money. Number four, exercise self-discipline as a lifestyle. Um, how come we, when we see something we really like, you know, we'll buy it anyway, even though we don't have money for it? Uh, uh, I know the mental gymnastics we go through, we say to ourselves, well, everybody else has it, so? Or there'll never be a sale like this sale. Oh, yeah. I like this one. People say, look how much money I can save now if I buy it right now. You never figured in the cost of, of the interest of paying it off. Um, if you see something you really like, don't have the money for it. Why don't you say no to yourself and say, listen, I'll set aside this money, and then when I have enough, I'll go out and buy it. <laughs> Somebody said, Canadians buy things they really don't need with money they don't have to impress people they don't even like. <laughs> Exercise self-discipline as a lifestyle. Consider lifestyle adjustments, seek counsel, learn to trust in God. You remember in the Bible where God said to the rich farmer who pulled down his barns and built greater ones, life doesn't consist in the abundance of things that you surround yourself with. You see, you buy this, you buy this, buy this. There never comes a time when you don't want to buy something because that doesn't bring satisfaction or contentment. Those things come from a relationship with God. It's in him that we live and move and have our being. So learn to trust in God. Then I want to talk about our neighbor. Christianity actually taught the world charity. Um, in Matthew, Jesus was asked, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the law and the prophet, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And then Jesus went in and told a story of a certain man who went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among the hands of robbers. He fell in the hands of robbers who beat him and robbed him and left him to die. Three people came by on that road a priest, a Levi, and a Samaritan. 
The Samaritan stopped and helped the man in need. And Jesus asked, which of these three do you think was neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. There's so much in this, this whole area that, let me just pull out this. We're living in a time when there are a lot of people in need. We've been living through hard, struggling, changing times. And as we go through our life day by day, we are confronted, we pass by, we meet people, and we need to be able to continue to reach out and minister to them. Uh, they may be discouraged, they may be lonely, they may be, uh, need you know, help financially. Um, whatever their need is, we are the ones who know Christ, who can reach out and help them. And I encourage you to continue to do that because that's what the church is for. We are to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Love God, love others is the motor that we live by. You're saying, well, Pastor, uh, I, 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 I'll do that, but this morning I'm really hurting myself. And so I'd like to take a moment this morning, if you don't mind. You who are struggling, maybe financially, maybe you're struggling physically, uh, emotionally. Um, you just need God to come and round and help you. And I want to take a moment and just pray and ask God to help you. Father, you know our hearts this morning. As we sit in our homes and we're watching and viewing and hearing your word, God, our hearts are really crying out, God, I need help. And so, Lord, this morning, would you come by your spirit and touch the people that are reaching out to you today, those who are suffering maybe from depression or some physical ailment, those who, Lord, have needs that are wondering how they have to make decisions on areas they don't really know what the answer is. God, would you come alongside them and help and encourage and let people know, God, by the power of your spirit that you love them and are able to help them. God, we know that you hear our prayer because you've invited us to come to you. And I pray, God, that your spirit will touch lives this morning in Jesus' name. And Jesus told the man who asked the question, go and do thou likewise. Um, there's a verse I want to share with you this morning before I leave this particular area. It says, it's possible to give away and become richer. It's possible to hold on too tightly and lose everything. Yes, the liberal man shall be rich by watering others. He waters himself. Very good verse to tuck away in your mind and in your spirit this morning. Let me go on. Plan for retirement. These guys had a plan. I don't think it was working out very well. Let me ask you, what's your plan? Um... There's a graph here I'd like to uh, bring to you. Let me just pick up a pen here. Um, in 1961, 7% of the population was over the age of 65, and 42% of the population was under the age of 19. They tell us by 2031, 
that 27% of the population would be over 65 and 14% of the population will be under the age of 19. What is that really saying? Let me tell you that Canada Pension Plan and old age security when you retire is probably not enough to look after you in those retirement years. Uh, Canada pays out the least to its seniors of all the industrialized nations. If you're just living on old age security and CPP, you're going to be living you know, below the poverty line. So maybe now is the time to sit down and start looking and thinking about, listen, I'm going to get older someday, and I'm going to need to have some money to, to live on. Uh, and so maybe uh, having a, a financial plan to look after, your, you know, to see where you're doing is something that you need to, to consider. Have you ever sat down with an advisor, a financial advisor, and worked out a plan? Let me encourage you to do so. Maybe this slide will help you. Um, you can pick out, you know, uh, whatever age you think you want to retire, 55, 65, 71. Um, when you retire, you have to determine um, how much money do I need to have to live on each month? Um, we, we found out where, how much money is coming in. We found out how much money we spend. So what is your monthly income that you have to live on? Um, I don't know. You can put whatever figure you want here. Uh, you can put $4,000. That means you make 48000 a year. You can put $5,000. Make, you make 60000 a year. Whatever um, that amount you, you determine. When you retire, first of all, your CPP is going to be uh, constant. Your old age security is constant. Any pensions are constant. The only variable you have, if those areas don't make up your, your amount here, is, is the investment area. RSPs, tax-free saving, real estate, GIC, stocks, bonds. Um, you can go to a financial planner and they can plug in your figures and show you what it looks like at these different ages. The only variable that you have and to work with is your investment area. They can tell you then how much you need to set aside in these other areas so that you can retire on the money that you're wanting to, uh, that you're needing to spend when you retire. Um, that's why I say, you know, talk to a financial advisor and uh, they will help you in that area. And it's very important to determine uh, what you're going to need down in the future. Secondly, take advantage of compound interest. Now, compound interest is really making interest on interest. Um, I have a chart here. Uh, the light colored area is a simple interest. It stays the same over the years. The compound interest varies, okay? It goes up. So. Over five years, you see how much it goes up over the simple. You extend that over 10, 15, 20 years. Um, taking advantage of compound interest works to your advantage. So you younger people, start setting something aside now because you have the time factor that us older guys don't really have. So take advantage of compound interest. Um, invest with the advice of a lawyer, I mean an investor. If you uh, want to... Uh, um, 
becoming part of investing in uh, the Lord's work, uh, the PLC, we have what we call mortgage certificates. Uh, these are uh, term investments. Um, they, uh, they are a guaranteed investment. Um, with this money, we uh, help build churches across Canada. As I say, they're a one to three year term. They pay approximately 2% higher than GICs, and they're a guaranteed investment. And if, if you want to be, uh, know in, uh, more on that situation, uh, you can get a hold of us uh, through our, our contact that the church has left there for you. Um, or there's gift annuities. Now, gift annuities are a very interesting investment. They're for older people, provides regular payments the rest of your life and the life of your spouse. Interest rate is based on your age. The older you are, the higher the interest we pay you. And what's really invest, interesting is that all, or at least a large portion of the interest payments that you receive are tax-free. Again, uh, if you are interested, just contact us. Now I want to go to number six, the final touches, estate planning. Um, important words are these. While you are still here, while you are alive, you may need what we call a substitute decision maker. If you become incapacitated, can't make decisions on your own, um, you need somebody to make the decisions for you. You need to have that written down in a legal document. They're called uh, power of attorney, uh, health care directive. The, those are the two areas that these uh, that needs to be covered. Uh, and if you don't have those documents, we can help you with them. I kind of like what this guy said to his wife. He said, just so you know, I never want to live in a vegetated state depending on some machine. He says, if that ever happens, just unplug me, okay? She agrees, okay. I uh, don't think he was considering that machine, do you? <laughs> Let's go on. Now listen, you say today or tomorrow, we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What's your life? Your mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. We're not here forever. We're passing through. In fact, I'm told that three out of ten adults have a prepared will. Many say they don't have enough money to make a will or think they're going to die if they write a will. I run into that one all the time. <laughs> Many say wills are only for older people. Uh, younger people die, too. Um, some of you are saying, listen, i got plenty of time. We can put that off till sometime later. And I say, yeah, right. In Manitoba, you need a will, an updated will, if you're over the age of 18. If you're recently married or divorced, you need to update your document. If there are special family concerns, it can be reflected in that document. If it doesn't reflect your current thinking, you need to look at your will document every five to seven years because uh, it's amazing how things change over time. If it doesn't provide for the Lord's work, if you're a new parent, all good reasons why you need to have a will. Now, the advantages of having a will are these. Avoids fam family conflict at an emotional time of loss. Um, controls the way assets are distributed. Provides for special circumstances. Secures the future of minor children by naming guardians and trustees. This one is very important in that uh, if you as parents have minor children and both of you go at one time, 
and you don't have a will, the children become the, the property of the court, and the court determines who will take your children and look after them. I think you probably want to have some input into that. Allows you to make provisions for some of your assets to go to the Lord's work, and you can save estate money if you have a will. Now, if you're wanting to have us assist you in writing your will, these are the questions that you would need to answer. Who will be the executor of your estate? Who will, who will carry out your instructions? Who will be the guardian of your minor children? Better you name somebody than the court. What ages should you, they have your assets distributed to them? Do you want some of your assets to continue to support the Lord's work? Do you want to do it yourself, get some assistance? Why not turn it over to a lawyer? All good reasons to make sure you have this document. Um, we, we talk about two types of wills. The first one uh, we call what we call is the, the charitable, I mean the traditional will. And it's pretty straightforward. One spouse goes, everything goes to the other spouse. After both of you go, all debts have to be paid first. Taxes have to be filed. Any income on the year of death is taxable. If your income is over $41,000, you are going to pay somewhere up around 38%. If it's under, you still pay about 20%. Um, money is put into an estate account. Out of that account, then your executor can pay off your debts and, and taxes and so forth. Whatever's left over is divided among the children in equal shares. Um, let me ask you a question. Uh, how long do you think it takes a beneficiary to spend what you've set aside in your 80, 85, now 90 or so years? I'm told that the average inheritance is spent in less than, yeah, six months. And there's so many things that we like to spend it on travel, you name it. Let me go on to though what we call the charitable will. And um, uh, like the traditional will, one spouse goes, everything goes to the second spouse. After both go, all debts are paid, taxes have to be filed. Um, but we encourage people to, let's consuade, why not consider the Lord's work? We have a 10% going to the Lord's work. Um, the kingdom has a lot of needs, and um, you've served God and you know, tithed and supported your church all your life. Maybe when you pass away, you would consider, yeah, let me, let me I'd like to give something to, to the Lord's work. Some of the areas that uh, charitable will helps to facilitate uh, are these um, reaching lost people everywhere, planting churches everywhere, equipping and training leaders, not only home, but abroad as well. What about caring for orphans and widows and, and feeding the hungry? Um, here at Cross Church, we're involved in, in a, a tremendous outreach in Burundi, and you see how much uh, help that can do. But we're also reaching people here at home and trying to minister to those around us. So, uh, a charitable will um, uh, helps us to do that. Not only that, but when you give to the Lord's work, uh, 
it also kicks back a, a, a tax receipt into your estate, so it lowers your taxable income, so you're not having to pay quite as much taxes either, yet you're helping tremendously in the kingdom work. A charitable will recognizes the blessing of God. It's a personal philosophy of life that includes others, and we, we talk about laying up treasures in heaven uh, as well, uh, where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. A charitable will demonstrates values to family members left behind. It provides a sense of self-satisfaction. Not only that, Revenue Canada helps you. Um, you it all doesn't go to them, but it goes back to some of it to the Lord's work. And God says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful and trustworthy over little. I'll put you in charge of many things. Joy, share in the joy of your master. I've given you some biblical principles this morning that uh, help us understand that um, the kingdom uh, idea and emphasis on money is far different than the emphasis of the world. It's not only about me. It's not only about what I have, but it's about how I can help others and, in, and influence and persuade others to become involved in the kingdom and the kingdom work. And God says, well done, good and faithful servant. If we can help you further, please respond by your email and we'd be happy to share with you. Thanks for being with us this morning. Let's just pray, Father. Those words, well done, good and faithful servant, are words that we want to hear when we stand before you someday. And Lord, you've laid out in your word a plan that helps us understand what you desire in our lives and in our, our, our work so that your blessing can be upon us. And God, we want to uh, walk in that place that brings joy to your heart, brings blessing to our lives. And God, that you are in control of everything we have. And so God, we commit our lives again to you today. Uh, continue to uh, help us, continue to bless us, continue to lead us. And God, uh, may your love be shared to others around us. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. And for his glory, amen. Have a good week. God bless you.